you're able, let's please stand for the reading of our Lord's Word. This morning's scripture reading will be read from 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Roshakah, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning, isn't it? Can I take just a minute before we begin to brag on you? Leslie and I have loved the last couple of months that we've been able to spend here at Seven Oaks. We want to thank you so much for the kindness and the love and the encouragement that you've extended to us. It makes me really excited to think about what we're doing now and to think about what God will bless us to do in the future as we seek to glorify Him in this community. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Second Kings. Second Kings chapter 19. And together we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. First and second Samuel, then first and second Kings, second Kings chapter 19, looking at verses 1 through 7. There was a doctor one day who walked into a hospital room of a patient who was very sick. The doctor walked in with a grim look on his face and said, I have bad news and I have worse news. Which one do you want to hear first? The patient anxiously responded, let's start with the bad news. We'll see if we can deal with that. And then we'll move on to the worst news. The doctor said, okay, here's the bad news. I'm so sorry to tell you that you only have 24 hours to live. You need to start calling your friends and family. You need to get everything in order. And the patient interrupted him. Wait, what do you mean? 
What do you mean that I only have 24 hours to live? What could possibly be worse than that? If that's the bad news, then what's the worst news? Dar said, well, the worst news is that I forgot to tell you that yesterday. Some of you might get that tomorrow. We've all been there, haven't we? We all know what it's like to receive bad news. We, we all know what it's like to hear the opposite of what we were expecting to hear. The opposite of what we were hoping to hear. As we continue studying the life of King Hezekiah, the 13th king of the nation of Judah, I want us to notice the bad news that he receives in 2 Kings chapter 18. The chapter right before what we read in 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 1-7. through if you remember last week, we studied from 2 Chronicles chapter 32. We talked about how the Assyrians invaded Judah and how King Hezekiah responded to that in a number of different ways in the 14th year of his reign. 2 Kings chapter 18 and 2 Kings chapter 19 tells us a little bit more about that story. It fills in some of the gaps that the writer of Chronicles doesn't tell us. So let's take a minute to tell that story. If you go back 30 years to 2 Kings chapter 16. The nation of Judah, who was ruled at the time by King Ahaz, was attacked by Syria. So King Ahaz sent to the Assyrians, who was the world-leading power at the time. They had the world's most powerful army. He sent to the Assyrians for help against this enemy. The Assyrians were glad to help Judah. They were glad to give their assistance, but their help came with a price. If the Assyrians came and helped Judah fight against Syria, then Judah had to be placed under their authority. And that's the agreement that they made in 2 Kings chapter 16. We'll come and help you if we can place you under our authority. You fast forward 30 years to the reign of Hezekiah. 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 7 says that he rebelled against the Assyrians. As a righteous king, he was not going to allow God's people to be ruled by a foreign nation. So he rebelled against the rule of the Assyrians that had been established 30 years earlier. Well, how did that turn out for you, Hezekiah? How did that work out? Well, if you drop down just a few verses in 2 Kings chapter 18, 2 Kings chapter 18, if we'll advance to the next slide there, my clicker's going out on me here. There we go. 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 13. In response to Hezekiah's rebellion, Assyria invaded Judah. And that's what we talked about last week. That's what we saw last week in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Whenever Assyria in 2 Kings 18 had captured all of Judah's fortified cities, Hezekiah started to think that he made a mistake in this rebellion. So what he does, if you continue reading in this story, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 14-16, through 16, he tries to make peace. He tries to make it right with the Assyrians by basically getting out his checkbook. How much is it going to cost for you to leave us alone? King Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians at the time, in verse 14, set his price. He said it's going to cost 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah went into the temple. He stripped the temple of silver and gold. He sent that over to the king of Assyria, giving him what he demanded for. So you fast forward just a few days. 
There's a meeting that takes place between Assyria and Judah. King Sennacherib sends three of his high-ranking officials along with a good portion of his army to the city of Jerusalem. King Hezekiah sends out three of his high-ranking officials to meet them. And I think that Judah was expecting to hear good news. I think Judah was expecting to hear what they, what they wanted to hear. Something like, hey, we got your payment and we're going to leave you alone. We're going to withdraw our troops. We're going to give the fortified cities back to you. Just don't do that again. Well, when you read throughout the last part of 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 19 through 37, we, re- we see that Judah didn't receive good news. They received bad news. They received the opposite of what they wanted to receive. They heard the opposite of what they were hoping to hear. Where the Assyrians basically told them, you can surrender or else. You can quit. You can throw in the towel. Or you can face the consequences. Assyria had the world's most powerful army at the time. In their mind, there was not an army on earth or a God in heaven who could deliver Judah from their hand. And so in this meeting, what they basically said was, thanks for the money, now you can surrender or face the consequences. Bad news whenever they were expecting to hear good news. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced that before? You know what it's like to hear bad news? Can I ask you to step into your past for just a minute? How did it feel when you first heard that your loved one had passed away? Whenever you first heard that message, whether it was a phone call, whether you were there, how did it feel to hear that bad news? How did it feel to hear that somebody you know made the decision to take their own life? How did it feel when the doctors walked in and said, there's nothing else we can do? How did it feel? Whenever you or somebody that you love was diagnosed with a serious illness, like cancer, dementia, the list could just go on and on. How did it feel to get the phone call that somebody you love has been in an accident and it's severely harmed them, maybe even taken their life? How did it feel to be rejected? How did it feel to be turned away? How did it feel to not get the job? Or to not get the grade that you were expecting. So often we expect the best. We expect to hear the best. So often we expect good news. And we do everything that we can. We try to check every single box so that we will hear good news. But as you see in 2 Kings chapter 18, it doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't always happen that way. Hezekiah included. We all know what it's like. To receive bad news. So what should we do with it? What should we do whenever we receive bad news? How should we respond to those messages? Especially when it's the opposite of what we were expecting. When it's the opposite of what we were hoping for. Well, as we look at the text that was just read for us, 
2 Kings chapter 19, verses 1-7, through as we look at how Hezekiah responded to this bad news from the Assyrians, let's think about us. Let's think about our lives. And let's think about how we should respond whenever we hear bad news. Number one, whenever we hear bad news, we need to spend time in mourning. So the Assyrians in Judah, they, they have this meeting at the, in the last half of 2 Kings chapter 18. And as you transition into 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1, Hezekiah's officials, his servants come before him and tell him the news. The Assyrians basically said, you can surrender or we're going to take you over by force. Notice what the Bible says. It says, as soon as Hezekiah heard it, this was an immediate response. This wasn't delayed. It wasn't he heard the news and a few days later it impacted. No, when he heard this bad news, notice what he immediately did. He tore his clothes. He ripped the royal garments that he would have been wearing down the middle. And he put on sackcloth to replace it. Those were signs of mourning in the ancient world. What Hezekiah is doing is he is outwardly demonstrating the inward pain that he felt whenever he heard the bad news, as soon as he heard the bad news from the Assyrians. He mourned. He tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth. But hold on just a second. Hezekiah is the king, right? As the king, isn't Hezekiah supposed to be strong? As the king, isn't Hezekiah supposed to put on a brave face for everybody else? As the king, even if everything's not okay, isn't he supposed to pretend like it's okay? To give a message of encouragement? To give a message of bravery and courage? There's going to be a time for that. We saw a little bit of that last week in 2 Chronicles 32. There's going to be a time for Hezekiah to step up and lead. There's going to be a time for Hezekiah to be strong as the king. There's going to be a time for him to put on a brave face and speak confidently to the people. But in order for him to get there, in order for him to get to those times of strength, he first has to spend some time in mourning. He first has to tear his clothes and put on sackcloth. Hezekiah knows what kind of day it is. If you look in verse 3, Hezekiah says that it's a day of distress, rebuke, and disgrace for Judah. He uses a proverb that was common to the time to describe their situation. He says, children have come to the point of birth, this is verse 3, and there is no strength to bring them forth. In other words, look at this situation that we're in. This situation has come upon us and there's nothing we can do about it. We don't have the strength to overcome it. We don't have the strength to push our way through that. When Hezekiah realizes that, when he realizes what kind of day it is, and that bad news sets in his mind and heart, the first thing that he does is he mourns, tearing his clothes and putting on sackcloth. Whenever we hear bad news, we need to spend time in mourning. So often, whenever we hear bad news, we think we have to be strong. We think we have to put up a facade. We have to put on a brave face. We have to pretend like everything's okay whenever everything's not okay. Because on the next slide, real men don't cry, right? On the next slide, there's no use in crying over spilled milk. Just clean it up and move along. 
On the next slide, you can't change what happened in your past. So it's time to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can't change what happened in your past. So just move forward to the future. Forget about what happened and and move forward to something that you do have control over. Well, there are going to be times for that. There are going to be times when we hear bad news for us to be strong, especially when others are relying on us. There are going to be times for us to move forward. There are going to be times for us to step up. But in order for us to get to those times, on the next slide, we have to spend time in mourning. We have to spend time mourning over the news that we've received. To get to those times of strength, sometimes it requires us to tear our garments and to put on sackcloth. Can you hear me say this? It's okay to mourn. It's okay to hurt when you receive bad news. In fact, it's healthy to mourn over bad news that we receive. It's the way that God created us. God wants us to mourn over the bad news that we receive. How do we know that? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who pretend like they have it all together. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who put on a brave face. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who act really strong whenever they're dying on the inside. He says, blessed are those who mourn, because here's the promise. They shall be comforted. Number one, Whenever we receive bad news, we need to spend time in mourning. Number two, whenever we receive bad news, we need to spend time in God's house. If you continue reading in 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1, we see King Hezekiah. He's mourning over the news that he heard from the Assyrians. He's torn his clothes. He's put on sackcloth. Where does he turn? Where does he go in verse 1? Look at the end of that verse. The Bible says that he went into the house of the Lord. Referring, of course, to the temple. The temple in the city of Jerusalem. The place where God's presence dwelt during the Old Testament time. As Hezekiah is mourning over this news that he just received, he made the decision to go to God's house. He made the decision to go to the place where he could be closest to God. Can you picture what that would have looked like? Can you see Hezekiah wearing nothing but sackcloth walking through the front gate of the temple? Can you see Hezekiah walking down the dirt roads on his way from the palace to the temple? And maybe some of the citizens in Jerusalem, some of the people were trying to pull him aside and trying to talk to him about what the Assyrians were doing. But he kept his eyes forward. He had one destination in mind. Can you see Hezekiah as he enters into the temple wearing sackcloth, falling down on his knees, spending time in worship to God, praying to God, asking for God's rescue and deliverance in this situation. Whenever we receive bad news, we learn from Hezekiah that we need to spend time in God's house. Whenever we refer to God's house today, we're not referring to the same thing that the Bible talks about in 2 Kings chapter 19. Living under the new covenant of Jesus, we don't go to the temple in Jerusalem. 
Living under the new covenant of Jesus, we don't have the temple where there are priests making sacrifices to God, where God's presence dwells in the most holy place between the cherubim above the mercy seat. That's not God's house today. Well, if that's not God's house today, what is? Paul actually answers that question in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He tells Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these, these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave. Watch this. In the household of God, which is what? Which is the church of the living God. A pillar and buttress of the truth. When we talk about God's house today, we're not talking about a physical building that's restricted to a location. We're not talking about longitude and latitude. We're not talking about a building that's been made out of stone or mortar or brick. When we talk about God's house today, we're talking about the church. The household of God is the church of God. When we talk about God's house today, we're talking about the people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus. We're talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. So whenever we receive bad news, we need to spend time in God's house. And what we're saying by that, what we mean by that, is that when we receive bad news, we need to spend time in the church we need to spend time with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who have been saved by the grace of our Lord. So often it goes the opposite way. I receive bad news, and now all of a sudden I'm not worshiping anymore. I receive bad news, the opposite of what I wanted to hear, the opposite of what I hoped to hear, and my worship attendance drops. I'm no longer plugged in to my Christian community. I'm no longer involved in the lives of my brothers and sisters. Even when it hurts. Even when our heart has been ripped into pieces by the news that we received. Even when we're wearing sackcloth and we've torn our clothes and we're mourning over the news that we've heard. We need to spend time in God's house. The church. For many of you, I don't know what kind of bad news you might have received in your past or the bad news that you might have received recently, but what I do know is this, you're in the right place to deal with it. You're in the right place to wrestle and to struggle with it, God's house, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then number three, whenever we hear bad news, we need to spend time listening. And that's what the rest of this text is dedicated to in 2 Kings 19, verses 2 through 7. As Hezekiah is mourning in the temple over the news that he received, he's torn his clothes, he's wearing sackcloth, he's spending time in worship. The Bible says that he sends some of his servants to the prophet Isaiah. Why did Hezekiah do that? Why did Hezekiah send his servants to a prophet, someone who speaks on God's behalf. Usually it goes the other way. If you look at Judah's history before Hezekiah, the prophets would seek out the king in order to tell them what they were doing wrong, how the people were living in sin. They weren't reigning in the way that God wants them to reign. Here you have the reverse of that. The king is seeking out a prophet. Why? I think when you read throughout the rest of the text, it becomes very clear that Hezekiah desperately wants to hear a message from the Lord. He wants to hear what God has to say. 
about the bad news that he just received from the Assyrians. On this day of distress, rebuke, and disgrace in verse 3, where children have come to the point of birth and there's no strength to bring them forth, the the servant stood before the prophet Isaiah and said, hey, maybe God has heard what we've heard. Maybe God has heard the same bad news that we have. Isaiah, what we want you to do is to talk to God. Pray to God about this and see what He has to say about what the Assyrians are planning to do. Did Hezekiah get what he wanted? Did Hezekiah hear the news that he so desperately wanted to hear? The message that he wanted to hear? Verse 6, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master what? Thus says the Lord. Did Hezekiah get what he wanted? Isaiah says, this is not a message from me. This is not a message from the king's servants. This is not a message from a human being. Isaiah says, what I'm telling you, this is a message from God. Thus says the Lord. Those four words make a world of difference. Here's what God has to say about it. What did God say? Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the king which with with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me have you ever had somebody tell you hey don't worry about that if you're really worried about something there's no need to worry about that well thanks you just cleared up all my worries by telling me not to worry right here god looks at hezekiah and says don't be afraid of what you heard don't be afraid of this bad news from the assyrians naturally hezekiah's question would have been how could i not be I mean, look at what they're doing. With every passing moment, the Assyrians are taking our fortified cities. They're drawing closer and closer to Jerusalem. They're within just a few days of overthrowing us. How could I not be afraid? Well, God doesn't just tell Hezekiah to not be afraid. He tells Hezekiah why he shouldn't be afraid. Verse 7, Behold, I will. Hezekiah, don't be afraid. Because look at what I'm going to do. Look at how I'm going to act on your behalf. I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Hezekiah, don't be afraid of the bad news that you've heard from the Assyrians because I'm going to act on your behalf. Because I'm going to be working for you. I'm going to be with you. God doesn't get rid of the bad news. God doesn't make the bad news disappear like a magician. God doesn't take the bad news and throw it in the garbage can. The Assyrians are still invading Judah in this moment. But what God does do is He gives good news to counteract the bad news. God, in order to counteract what the Assyrians were planning, talks about what He is planning to do on behalf of His people. I think Hezekiah was able to be encouraged by that good news from God. And it all goes back to this third point. He was willing to listen. He wanted nothing more than to hear a message from the Lord. Whenever we receive bad news, we need to spend time listening. We need to spend time listening to the good news that God has to offer in His Word. I'm reminded of a story about a train making its way through the mountains. It was a double-engined train, and it was on a pretty long journey. When it got about halfway through its journey, one of the engines broke down. 
So the engineer thought to himself, okay, well, we'll, we'll keep going. We'll keep going at half power and try to get to the next city. Well, they got a little bit farther down the line and the other engine broke down. So they stopped in their tracks. The engineer realized they were going to have to sit there for several hours in order for help to come. So he got on the intercom to tell his passengers, ladies and gentlemen, I have some bad news. Both of our engines have broken down and we're going to be stuck here for several, several hours until someone comes to help us. About 20 minutes after that, the engineer got word that everyone in the train was complaining. They were upset about having to sit there. They were missing things on their schedules. They didn't want to have to sit and wait for somebody to come help. So the engineer was pretty smart. He, he got back on the intercom. Ladies and gentlemen, I have some good news. Everybody kind of perked up. Well, here we go. The engines are fixed. We're going to be able to keep going. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I have some good news. You should be thankful that you didn't take this trip on a plane. Be worse, wouldn't it, if the engines went out in the middle of the sky? The engineer didn't get rid of the bad news. Both engines were still broke. But what he tried to do was give good news to counteract the bad news. Even if some people on the train probably wouldn't have appreciated it. And I believe that God has done the same thing in His Word. God has given us good news in His Word to counteract the bad news in our lives. He doesn't make our bad news disappear. It's still there. It still hurts. God's not like a magician where He just makes it magically go away. He doesn't take our bad news and toss it in the garbage can. Maybe sometimes as Christians we expect Him to. But that's not what He does. God doesn't get rid of our bad news. What He does do is He gives us good news to counteract the bad news. That's why we call it the Gospel. Good news. God has given us good news about salvation, about rescue, deliverance from ourselves, from our own sinful choices. He doesn't make our bad news disappear. Instead, in His Word, He gives us good news to counteract it. Whenever we have that same desire that Hezekiah had, I've heard bad news, I've spent time mourning, I've spent time in God's house, and I need to know what God says. I want to listen to His voice. I want to hear a thus says the Lord. When we have that same desire, I believe we'll hear the same message that He did. Hey, don't be afraid. Yes, it's going to hurt. And it's going to be painful. But don't be afraid of this bad news that you've received. Why? Because God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to act on your behalf. I'm going to do amazing things in your life. So don't be afraid. We need to respond to our bad news by listening to the voice of God. As Christians, we should respond to our bad news with an open Bible. Bad news. It's something we interact with every week. I'd say it's something we interact with every day on some level. If you read the newspaper, you watch news on the TV, you usually don't see anything good. It's all usually bad news. If you think back to your life this past week, did you hear any bad news? I think about, just to illustrate this, I think about Wednesday morning last week. 
I received two phone calls within an hour of one another. The first one was from my dad. He had a friend, one of his best friends growing up, has a son that's my age. He just turned 23 a few days ago. My dad called me to tell me that he decided to take his own life the night before. His visitation was last night. His funeral's today. It was unexpected. Unbelievable, shocking news. And then about an hour later, I received a phone call that Miss Linda Richardson had passed away. Now the only reason that I bring this up is to illustrate the fact that's just one morning throughout the whole week. Bad news is something that we deal with all of the time. So what should we do with it? How should we respond to the bad news that we hear on a daily basis? I think we see three powerful ideas in the life of Hezekiah. We need to spend time mourning. We need to spend time in God's house. And we need to spend time listening to God's voice. We're not through with this message. Next week, whenever we come back together, we're going to look at part two of what to do with bad news. We're going to continue in 2 Kings chapter 19. In the next passage, verse 8 on, Hezekiah actually receives some more bad news. So next week, we're going to take the time to see how he responded to that. We spent a lot of time talking about bad news today. I think it's fitting for us to close by mentioning the fact the greatest news that could ever be heard is found in the fact that there's a Creator. There's a Creator who loves us more than we can imagine. There's a Creator who desires a relationship with us so much that He was willing to come to earth in the flesh and die on our behalf. If it's not already, that good news can become your good news. If only you'll receive it. You have that opportunity now as we stand and as we sing.